0: Voyager, season four. We have encountered the Borg, Elizabeth, Lindsay, and will continue the theological discourse with the elder quadrant.
1: Resistance is futile. Irrelevant. Your appeal
2: to my humanity is pointless. I can't be sure, but I think there's more going on here than just a simple hello.
1: Well, I think it's time we get back to our bridge.
0: No argument there.
1: Voyager,
2: Season 4. Welcome to Voyager, a theological journey, and we're with you again to explore our next episode.
1: Yes, this episode, uh, the 10th episode in Season 4, Random Thoughts, uh, has the following synopsis Voyager visits a planet with a telepathic race that outlaws negative thoughts. When they arrest Belana Torres for an angry thought released into their society, surprise, surprise, uh, the, and condemn her to a dangerous neurological procedure, Tuvok uncovers a black market dealing in violent thoughts. Yeah, so another
0: um, telepathy episode, which I always enjoy because... It raises such interesting questions about the connections between thought and action and particularly issues of justice. Uh, You know, if we know that certain types of thinking uh, lead to bad or violent actions, should we outlaw those kinds of thinking? I I think this is always one uh, one of those interesting ethical minefields and this episode didn't disappoint.
2: No, I thought it, I, it raised issues for me I would never have thought of. It did remind me a little bit of Moon Knight, um, the series that was run on Disney, where um, you have two gods battling it out and one who wants to execute anyone who might do something evil in the future, whether they've done it or not. And also the question of, well, how private are our thoughts? Um, and do we, should we share them? <laughs> So
1: yeah, it was it was good. Yes, this uh, emphasis on uh, prevention versus cure um, was uh, was something that I was really interested in. But but uh, as a bit of a segue to begin with, um, I, I was a bit sad to see that uh, Tom Paris is now in the category of used to be a ladies' man, um, according to Neelix. Um it it's interesting that we we have these thoughts all the time and 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 we do spend time filtering what we'll say and what we won't say and, and and that whole question that is central to this one is should we or can we be held accountable for things we think but never say or act on
0: yes uh, i i mean just to go down the tangent for a while you know that the, the uh, yeah. The, the interaction between uh, Tom and uh, Neelix was was interesting, and this this whole idea of of um, that monogamy, uh, you know, somehow makes you a less interesting person or, or less uh, charming or, or whatever it might be. You know, it's only if you're able to play the field that you have that that frisson of excitement or interest or whatever. And I, I wondered whether that was a a helpful sort of thought that that gets put out there. Uh, as part of, you know, the remnants of some of, you know, our purity cultural ways of thinking and whatnot.
2: Um, I'm not sure I saw ladies' men, ex-ladies' men, as ex-charming or ex-charismatic or ex-attractive. I saw it more as you are not on the market. That's how I understood it because to me, people who are called ladies' men, which is a very strange title really, Tend to be flirtatious and available.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly Tom will have to be careful about who he thinks about tugging his whiskers <laughs> more often um, now. Um, uh, it would be very interesting to go into the entire practice of uh, Talaxian whisker tugging um, as a as a uh, intimate uh, experience. But um, yeah, I, I look, I, I think that um, the the the. the the thing that this really brought out for me was that the writers are now in a position where they're wanting to take seriously things that have gone before um, in terms of you know linking things in um, and and really thinking also about foreshadowing and what might come next. So there were a couple of very small scenes in this that that as a, as a Voyager crew, a Voyager and crew, we've been begging for for the last four seasons to say, well, can't they just pick this up? Couldn't they just pre-reference this? Both... Neelix and Seven had scenes that actually allowed for that, that talked about things past and things to come in this episode, whilst not really being a part of the plot of this particular episode, which I thought was wonderful. I thought it
2: was great when Seven marched into the captain's quarters (laughs) and said what she did. Why do you keep poking your nose into things about which you know nothing and getting into trouble? Yes. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Say it seven.
0: <laughs> well, we'll have that conversation because you won't be surprised to know, Elizabeth, that I disagree with you. But
1: <laughs> oh, look, I'm shocked, Lindsay,
0: shocked.
1: <laughs> but but it is a, it's a clever way that the writers have brought in a voice narrative that hasn't been there in the yeah. past. I mean, for the last three years elizabeth's been asking that question the crew's been oblivious and ignorant to it um and and now we've got a crew member who's actually prepared to ask the question that that clearly fans have been asking
2: well i've been asking it anyway i don't know about the fans So, we wouldn't really have much of a series if they never went anywhere different.
1: No,
0: no, that, that's true. And if we're going to get into this, I mean, I think, uh, you know, at the end, uh, that, that conversation between Way and Seven is great. I, I enjoy it. I disagree with Seven, but I enjoyed the conversation. Um, but I think the, the thing that I found interesting was that... Um, uh, janeway's comment about you know uh almost knowledge for its own sake and that's just the kind of people that we are i, I agree with that but it's not the whole story because of course as they have said in previous episodes uh, a, a big part of the exploration is actually they're hoping to find a quicker way home 70 years you know is a generation um and and they're aware that there are uh People and species and and um, you know natural phenomena out there that might shorten their journey, and if they don't have that exploratory sort of approach, they might miss out on something that actually would enable them to get home, uh, you know, uh, in shorter than seventy years. And I think Janeway knows this. I I think she's actually being playfully provocative in the way that she answers uh, Seven. Um, probably in her mind to sort of highlight some of the aspects of humanity that perhaps Seven has not yet leaned into.
2: Yeah, I think that's right, Lindsay. And also there's just the pragmatic stuff of parts for the the spacecraft and food and other supplies that they need. I mean, they're not going to magic them from nowhere. They, they have to be obtained. So there are pragmatic reasons, of course, why well, one needs to go and bargain with, shop with, mix with other species you may not be familiar with. But I take Seven's point, no one does much research about it. Mm. They just plop down there and hope for the best, really. And of course, someone always gets into trouble.
1: That's right. So there's that risk versus reward question that's actually is prevalent in this episode. How at what point do we do we do a risk assessment that actually says okay is it worthwhile actually entering into this dangerous space in order to achieve this reward um, and, and certainly I don't think that they are doing their risk assessment process very well um, and, um, and, and I guess that's an entirely different question that's being raised is, is um, I mean if we're going to assimilate other other um information in order to aid us to be uh, a better society or to and and and, and, i mean they did use that word assimilate because it's a borg word which triggers us here um Mm. in in colonial australia Um, but there is that sense in which um that they are attempting to take information or knowledge or 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 culture and actually allow it to improve them whether it's getting home or, or whatever so uh, that, I, I really thought that tension between risk and reward, especially when it comes to telepathy, I've thought about this a lot. Um, how nice would it be to have a higher level of intimacy with everyone and a greater level of understanding of all that's going on, but the risk is also that um, I, I might lose some aspect of my individuality or who I, who I am um, or, 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 or be held accountable or responsible for my, my reactions um, as well as my responses.
2: I think that's the difference with the Borg, though, and the Mari, because the Mari do hold you accountable for your thoughts, where the Borg assimilate and they are a hive mind and you just share the same thought. It would be very yeah. difficult to be an individual in that circumstance, I would have thought.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and they're not. They're a collective. Um, but but yeah. coming back to the the question of, uh, you know, uh, different species or cultures interacting um, I, I agree entirely uh, with Seven's comment that they often go in with ignorance and and then reap the the um the outcome of that. Um, but the thing that I found myself thinking about in this episode is that um, uh, preparation cuts both ways. Um, so yes, uh, the the Federation as as a bunch of explorers ought to be doing a better job of finding out about cultures before they sort of burst into them, and I think. I think that that's a reflection of part of that sort of colonial, patriarchal, racist mindset of, of our way is normal and we just expect others will, you know, be the same as us. Um, but it also cuts the other way, that if you are a, a species or a culture which is open to have others visit, um, and we've met plenty of, of species uh, in, in the Delta Quadrant that aren't open to interaction. But if you are, then I think you also have um, a responsibility to think about how do we introduce people to our culture and our, our laws and, and our ways of being, uh, you know, in order to enable that interaction to be as positive as possible. And And I think particularly in this case where... Um, uh, what this society has come to in terms of its uh, thought policing is not something that has evolved naturally over millions of years so that they might just think of it as natural. It's actually, as we hear in the story, something which they've imposed in the last generation or so. So they know that this is not natural. And you would think that part of being a welcoming culture would be to say, hey, as a telepathic society, we have discovered that we need to patrol people's thoughts. So if you're going to come and, and, and be part of what's going on here, just be aware that you need to control your thoughts, not just your actions. And and they don't seem to have given any indication of that um, local law.
2: Only to Tuvok. I mean, when he's going around with their security officer, she hasn't, put everything on the table but she's explained some things but that's not very helpful to the crew who are down there interacting and social socializing
1: i wanted to um put a big shout out to gwyneth walsh who um who plays the uh, security uh officer um in this episode uh what was her name again um security officer chief examiner Nimera. Nimera. Yeah. um Gwyneth Walsh has uh, been in Star Trek before. I was very pleased to look up that she plays Bator in the famous Lursa and Bator ah. sisters uh, from the Klingon Empire. So um, wonderful to, um, to to see her again. And uh, they asked her to come back for this role. And she said, yes, but as long as I don't have to wear any makeup <laughs> at all, uh, I'll actually come and be a part of it. Because uh, the whole Bator thing was actually quite... Uh, Quite quite overwhelming. Um, being dressed as a Klingon for every episode, uh, especially considering she was in a movie, so a movie mm. would have had quite a lot of um a lot more um time um engaged there. But um yeah, look, I agree. Um, one of the things too that I thought was really fascinating was that the way that they're dealing with um justice in this um uh, there was a discussion about enlightenment and crime and and how they'd actually managed to uh, um deal with it. They 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 often when we deal with justice and we make the punishment or retribution or rehabilitation absolute, as they've done in this case, you can actually reduce crime. Um, just like in that um, fabulous next generation episode in season one called justice, where the, where Wesley Crusher accidentally uh, falls into a garden and in his um, sentenced, sentenced to death. To death. <laughs> um, that's right. Um, absolute response to crime does it does it reduce um, crime is, it, is another fascinating question raised by this episode. Well, there
2: are statistics on that. Research has been done about whether punishment and more punitive punishments actually deter people. And mostly they don't. What they've found mm-hmm. that deters people is the odds of being caught. So yeah. the more likely you are to be caught, the less likely you are to commit the crime.
1: And I'm just wondering whether deleting memory engrams of crime committal will deter people because you will not remember mm. the process of or or the, the issue of dealing with the with the crime. And so so you might you might get rid of the 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 the, the memories and feelings associated with committing crime, but you'll also get rid of any learnings or any possible changes that might actually occur um and and that might actually increase the rep- rep- repetition rate
2: oh i can't see how it prevents it put it that way mm. may not increase it but it, how does it stop it happening again
0: well mm. and, and it seems to have not prevented it in the case of is it frame the, the the fellow mm. who who does the first assault um mm. because uh, he's been had had his memory engrams wiped a number of times but he's still you know, attracted to want to uh, deal in these uh, illicit, um, you know, dark memories or thoughts or whatever. Uh, I think um, your comment, Elizabeth, about you know um, the the odds of being caught, um, you know, uh, lowering crime is a perfect justification then for um, authoritarian regimes where we don't worry about trials and stuff. You just declare people are guilty. Uh, you know, when you want to, so that the the, uh, odds of getting caught are very high.
2: (laughs) Well, that's right. And I'm not necessarily advocating that system of government, but um, because I remember when I was um, studying at university, one of my lecturers said, if you bring two students up in front of the assembly when it occurs in the morning, and one of them you shoot because they've done X, Y and Z, and then you call out another student who's random and you don't say what they've done wrong or right. You just shoot them anyway. You would not get behavior that was bad. Mm. But okay. who would do right. that as a deterrent? <clears throat> so it's, uh, so it's this... the randomness and right. the not knowing when you will be caught or punished, you see. Yep. But that's it. That illustration takes us it to its nth degree, which I am not recommending.
0: Oh, I, I'm glad you put that yes. in because now that I sit on a uh, a school board of a United Church school, you know, I'm just getting ready to put my paper together for the principal about how we should start randomly shooting the students.
1: <laughs> views of the Voyager team are not necessarily the views of the United Church in Australia.
2: No, no I'm just telling you that's what research shows and that is, of course, Absolutely. how totalitarian regimes keep their citizens under control because you never know what you're going to be picked up and how you'll be punished for it.
1: Whilst I'm a big fan of Will Wheaton and everything that uh, he has brought to geek culture and to Star Trek, I think there might've been a lot of Star Trek fans who would have liked to have seen um, uh, Wesley Crusher (laughs) put to death in uh, episode, uh, what is it? Uh, Of of Next Generation. Wesley. Um, But uh, yes, I, I look, I uh I have have to say, um I, I really love the way that Will Wheaton has reinvented himself in later in, in his life, um and um and really appreciate the way that he's actually been able to talk openly about the struggles of being a child actor. Um so um a big shout out to Will Wheaton there as well. Um I, I'm really glad personally that you, that uh, Wesley Crusher was not put to death so early um in uh, the TNG series. That's good to know. So so just coming back to the um the question of
0: justice. One of the the quotes I noted was um when Neelix is talking to Tuvok uh and and this is after the the second assault, the murder of of the um uh the the young woman that that Neelix has been keen on. Uh, and he says to Tuvik, "Whoever's responsible, find them and make sure they're brought to justice." Um, and and that that kind of sense of there must be someone brought to justice. I, I found myself thinking about the fact that so often when things happen, there is no single person who's responsible. It's actually about right. a bunch of people doing things, which partially added up to a bad outcome um and maybe none of them doing that you know with with maliciousness in mind uh, but just cutting corners or whatever it might be um and and i think that this is one of the limitations of the whole life for an eye thing which i hadn't really thought about before i think often we we think about that as uh it leads to sort of tit-for-tat retaliation and that's why moving away from an eye for an eye is good. But I think it's also this sense that we want there to be someone who's responsible, but so often there actually isn't. Um, So what do we do? Do we kill all the people who might be partially responsible? Do we, you know, um, how does that eye for an eye actually work in the grayness of many things?
2: Well, there's probably some cases where an eye for an eye might be straightforward. And I'm imagining that's how it came about as a law in our Old Testament, where there were some people that went out and just stole something, for instance. But of course, there's always circumstances around that to be considered. Are they starving? Were they very poor? Um, You know, are they normal? Do they have some sort of illness that might preclude them to doing that sort of stuff? So I think you've always got to consider the mitigating factors. But it's, it's a very easy way of, I guess, putting stuff in. But again, it would work well in a small society where everyone knew everyone else and where the chances of being caught are incredibly high. Mm. So you know if you're caught that that is what you might face, losing a hand or losing an eye or something like that. Um, and it probably did work as a deterrent 2,000, 4,000 years ago. But in our complex societies, where, as you say, Lindsay, there's so much interconnectedness that might lead up to a crime, it doesn't really satisfy or work in the same way it might have done 4,000 years ago.
1: Yep. And I think in this particular culture that we're looking at here, um, when you've got telepathy, that adds an entire new level of complexity because, I mean, how do you hide anything in a telepathic society? Um what are the ethics of telepathy? Um, and and you know that's one of the brilliant things about exploring science fiction the way we do is is it, you know that's that's a kind of a ridiculous question because there is no telepathy so there are no ethics to go with it. But but should it exist? Should we evolve to it? Should we encounter aliens who have it? Um, are are we going to be able to explore what the ethics of telepathic behaviour is like? Can we just read anyone's mind? what are the the processes that need to govern the monitoring and recording of other people's thoughts um these are these are fascinating questions
0: yeah yeah and and i mean i guess um even before we get to the point of um developing telepathy or uh discovering species that have telepathy it's the same sort of idea that's behind um you know ideas uh like um Genetic manipulation of people or locking people up because you know that they have a genetic predisposition uh, to violent crime or something like that. It's that same tension between, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, waiting to exercise justice when someone does something as opposed to, you know, trying to cut it off at the past and say, well, we don't want there to be violent crime. So we're going to lock up these people because we think they're likely to commit violent crime. So even without telepathy, we have that same sort of tension that that we play around with.
2: I think that's true. And I think that's been played out, particularly in the area of domestic violence and the crimes that have been committed by men, mostly in that particular arena. Because we know from research that stalking behaviour lead, can lead to certain outcomes. We know that when women leave a, a very abusive relationship, they are most in danger at that time of being seriously hurt or murdered. Yet, we have very little in place to actually address those issues with police saying, But well, I think it's changing now, but it used to be, but he hasn't done anything yet. Well, he's threatened me, he's broken his AVO a number of times. Is that enough to say his intentions? towards harming me have been made very plain and that should be a crime. So I think it's a really interesting question.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I'm just on a, a side tangent, I have to say, you know, as, as the science officer amongst us, that I, I did find that the um, idea that the Mari and uh, Tuvok could telepathically communicate stretched my incredulity bone a little. It's like, why would we assume that that one species that's evolved telepathy, that it would use exactly the same mechanism as another species that has evolved telepathy and that they would be interchangeable, uh, you know, so easily
1: like that?
2: Because the whole plot won't work without it, Lindsay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it, it did give them a superior, it gave them a, it, it made them a superior unit that they could actually do that. Um And, and, um. I also thought it was really interesting that scene in that um it why didn't they just continue to converse that way all the way through? I mean, they had that conversation about why do you talk and and but but i I kind of went, well, no, there's also a reason for us if if we had have just watched a whole lot of footage of them going <laughs> while the voices were happening, then then it really it it, it, it it was displacing, you know, like um, it was okay for a couple of scenes, but. Imagine watching an entire episode where everybody just sort of just moves, makes head movements, whilst the voices happen in their heads.
0: So, so two two should have said something like, you know, I I want to talk out loud just in case anyone is recording this for posterity. Posterity, <laughs> he, that's right. He did the, give the audience a needs reason. to hear what's going
2: on. Now he did that's give a right. reason. He said, I prefer it because that's what I've had to do, and I'm not used to being in a telepathic conversation anymore i'm out of practice he did say that so they did give a reason but the
1: vulcans don't walk around doing that with each other in 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 other other previous i didn't even know
2: they were uh, telepathic till this episode
1: (laughs) the way the star trek law frames it is that the vulcans are touch telepathic so they've got that that mind meld they've got the ability to do that they but they actually don't have a telepathic link between each other um, but they can use their telepathy to link with others. So, so in a sense, what's happening is um, in this particular. She's case, broadcasting, and um, he can
0: he can capture the broadcast. Yep. Yeah. that's yeah. right.
1: So he's using her enhanced ability to be able to do that because certainly we've seen Vulcans communicating telepathically with Betazoids and and other telepathic races, but it, they they can't do it with each other. So the, I mean, I guess there are. There are um, interface difficulties and issues, and it really depends on 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 what each telepathic being brings to the to the to the party. Um, but yeah, I, look, that we're playing with something that doesn't exist, so there aren't really any rules. Are there? Well,
2: exactly. So it's very hard to actually invent some. And as I said, his ability to understand her telepathically, and the other character, what's his name, Gil. Um, it's really essential. Otherwise, the plot line is not going to develop here because it's that ability that allows Tuvok to actually get to the bottom of everything and solve the problem. Though the idea of well, a black market in violent thoughts just intrigued me because how are yeah. they getting away with it with this telepathic race? Uh, Has not someone picked uh, up these violent thoughts floating around for sale? I don't know why that's gone under the radar.
1: Well, it seems to me there must be some ability to block um, there must yeah. be some way to put up a, a shield or to, to to bury so and they did talk about that so the 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 they were saying to to tuvok you you've you've buried these thoughts deeply, so it seems that it is possible to use effort to prevent somebody from seeing everything that you've got um so that, that's a fascinating concept right? well and yes. in,
0: in the interrogation like the um Namira. Um, uh, doesn't just use her native telepathy. She's also got the the thing that sort of reads the memory engrams, so that um, you know she's able to delve deeper. I, I thought one of the interesting things about having this shared um, telepathy with the Mari and with uh, Tuvok as uh, Vulcan um, was that actually you then. Um, in a way see the differences and, and I found it interesting like noting the differences between the Mari, particularly Namira and Tuvok. And there's the one scene um, before the murder when there's just been the assault, um, where where Tuvok's saying, you know, won't you let me investigate and find out and and she's reacting very emotionally. So although they share this telepathic ability, they don't share the commitment to logic and to, um, you know, uh, controlling yeah. your emotions. And she she has this very emotional, no, I want to do it my way. We're going to do it this way, and I'm not going to give an inch, sort of stuff. Uh, whereas Tuvok, you know, takes the, the typical logical, well, if the truth is out there, surely we we should, you know, do whatever we can to discover it.
2: Yes, I thought that, um, well, it just shows you that telepathy doesn't mean that you become like a Vulcan and um, uh, ruled by logic. It doesn't seem to stop that emotion or that desire to actually see violence if there's this healthy black market operating, which probably is a bit like prohibition. If you ban something, there's always going to be people that want to have a piece of it and see what they're they're missing, I suppose. Mm.
1: See, so I hadn't attached logic and telepathy together just because I've spent so much time with Beta Zoids. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's nothing logical about Beta Zoids whatsoever, um, and uh, you know, like, but uh, and, and and certainly have similar conversations between Luxana Troy and Diana Troy about speaking out loud, about invading people's thoughts, and and I guess we've also seen that in the Voyager series where they came across the. The, the group that were communicating telepathy and loved each other's stories um and 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 in that particular we've got a violation of te- telepathy a forced telepathy uh, I thought it was fascinating that Tuvok steps into that space when he takes control and he does telepathy the Vulcan way in order to to actually I think quite mm. violently yeah. hurt um um the uh, the 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 other fella Kiel um, in that yeah. so yeah Kiel mm. yeah.
2: Though he, Gil asked for it. So if we're talking consent, yeah, so. Gil actually insists, really insists yeah, to the yeah. point of violence that Tuvok share this stuff with him. And so Tuvok, so of violence this. is
1: okay if they're asking for it, is that right? No, or I'm not
2: saying that, that, but I'm saying you can't <laughs> say that Tuvok just imposed it on him. He yeah. insisted that Tuvok do that because, of course, he's looking for something even more titillating in yep. the violence field, I'm imagining.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I guess the the point I was picking up on there was that that he switched from doing it in the Miri way, which was actually without contact, to actually he claimed his power by doing it the Vulcan way. So we're actually seeing two very different ways of being telepathic. And when he switched to his way, he had the power. He was actually in control whether or not there was consent or not.
0: I I mean, I, I did. I did. Kind of feel a little uneasy about that, I have to say. Um, but I, I think then what I thought about was well, uh, Tuvox actually um, being physically, you know, restrained and 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 fearing for his safety, and this is his way of of fighting back rather than doing so physically because yeah. he's outnumbered three to one. Mm. Uh, he, he does it uh, using his his thoughts. Um, and, and in a sense, tricking the, the guy. Uh, so, yeah, but I, I, I did have that sense of, you know, him using those thoughts violently. And, and what do I think about that?
1: I, I wonder with the consent question too, I mean, just sort of that picking up on what you've just said about tricking him is that, is, is if a person doesn't fully understand the implications of what they're conceding mm-hmm. to, uh, is, is that consent? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like there was a sense in which, you know, he was asking for a greater depth of violent imagery, but not necessarily personal harm. Um, and so Tuvok is, has said, I have permission to do this, and I'm going to do this as well. Has has he actually stepped beyond the consent that he was given?
2: Maybe, but I agree with Lindsay in that Tuvok, it does fear for his life. He is outnumbered. They've shown that they're quite ruthless and they're prepared to hurt him. Um, he's also, I suppose, not just concerned for himself, but a lot of stuff hinges on what he finds out in terms of the safety of others. So I'm guessing if you are threatened in the way he is being threatened, that might overrule consent.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, I mean, just coming on to that, um, you know, that that he's concerned not only for his own safety, but that of others, in particular, Balana. That was the one thing that I, I... I felt a little dissatisfied about was the fact that um, Janeway doesn't step in to stop, um, you know, the the procedure happening to Balana. I mean, she 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 does interject, uh, but it's already started, and and I I don't know. I I, I think I was with um, Tom and um, and uh, what's his name, the second officer um, on this one, Chakota. Chakota, yeah. Um, that, you know, I, I would have preferred if Janeway had stepped in to at least halt the procedure and say, hey, you know, while my first officer, uh, uh, while my security officer is, is actually missing and there's something going on, I'm not going to let you, you know, do this to my crew person.
2: I think it was just hard for Janeway to do that because it is that, uh, Numera, is that her name? Has really made up mm-hmm. her mind that it's going to go ahead. What surprised me is the normal swashbuckling, risk-taking Tom rolled over. (laughs) There was no great rescue like we have seen him done on a number of occasions. I mean, it was all left to Tubok, but that is uncharacteristically Tom, I would have said, especially when his fair lady love is involved.
1: Mm. What I loved, though, was that there were some really interesting knowing looks between um, Paris and Chakotay uh, because they've had this conversation and at several points they they approach the line and it's kind of like now, no, not now, kind of there's no dialogue, yeah. but you could see that that's what they were doing. And I really also liked Chakotay's mentoring empowerment of Tom, kind of wanting to offer him the carrot of saying, here's the captain's chair, if you want that chair then more levels of restraint are required and so it was really it was a really interesting mm. use of a teachable mm. moment for um for Chakotay and Paris there which is not something we've seen before no but. it's
2: not and it, i agree will it was interesting though i thought it was uncharacteristic of tom
0: well, I mean, I think Tom is growing. And, and just to circle right yeah. back to the conversation with Neelix at the start, you know, I thought um, uh, after there's the sort of the back and forth about is he is he still a ladies' man or not, um, you know, he says to Neelix, the best advice I could give you is just to be yourself. And I really like that, you know, that that sense of,
1: yeah. of
0: if you want to build a relationship, authenticity is the best basis, not, you know, some kind of charming or tr- trickery or you know sort of uh, having the, the best lines uh it's actually being yourself but,
1: but as i say to adolescents all the time less cologne is a good idea <laughs> yes um, yes you know there, there is a point where it is too much um and um, and you should back away from that I, I also just wanted to raise um do you remember that time when the ladies' man, Tom Paris, did go to another planet and got into a bad relationship and murdered, or was accused of murdering. And yeah. and what did they do? They deleted the memory mm-hmm. engrams and retrained him for that. Uh, like, a, it's it's it, there's a bit of a plot rerun here. But in this particular case, Voyager is nearby and can intervene. Yeah. In that case, the the procedure was done to Tom before like he'd even gotten back. So there was it's a fascinating kind of I guess, re, rehash of an old story, but actually um, in a way that allows us to look at things in a, in a completely yep. new way. Yeah.
2: Mm. And mm. back to the question of whether it's ethical to read someone else's mind or even desirable. I mean, I don't want my thoughts being necessarily broadcast out into the minds of those around me, um, especially in church meetings. I don't think it would be particularly helpful. But... I have to say it reminded me a lot of some of the things Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, which is on our lectionary this year as we're in the Mm. Gospel of Matthew. And, you know, Jesus is saying motivation is important, what you think is important. So don't just not Mm. murder someone. Don't even think angry things. And don't just not commit adultery, but don't go around being a ladies' man or lusting after somebody. Um, And I was just struck by that that there's this similarity between, I mean, Jesus isn't talking about telepathy, of course, but he's saying your motivations and your thoughts matter.
1: Yeah,
0: I think that's really interesting. And, and I think, uh, like, there there is a line there, you know. I mean, I think there's a difference between the, the, uh, you, you suddenly have a thought and you immediately master it as Balana does, where she suddenly has a violent thought, but she, she masters that and doesn't move on. And and the idea that actually by cultivating certain thoughts and by, you know, constantly thinking about how I hate someone or how I wish that bad things would happen to them, I'm actually shaping my character. Um, And, and yeah. I think that's what Jesus is pointing to is, is um, you know, that, that we shape our character by the thoughts that we have, and particularly the ones that we, that we dwell on and, and come back to and, and cultivate.
2: And they can be self-fulfilling prophecies, mm. because if you do spend all your time being angry or lusting after someone, the chances of you acting on that, I imagine, would grow
1: and, and this episode really does bring that out well, in that it isn't uh, um, Balana's um, reactive thought that actually causes the ongoing violence. It's the recording of that thought and the replaying it um, for for gratification. Uh, and often, when we do replay these thoughts of of um, uh, uh, of, of, of I guess harming other people um, in our own minds um it does actually become a kind of rehearsal for a main event um that will will eventually occur so so I i like the way this episode separates that out to say well actually balana's thought didn't cause the chain reaction the recording of the thought and the replaying it and i guess we could ask ourselves the question at what point do we record these kinds of thoughts and replay them for ourselves um, and what time? What what other times do we need to allow these thoughts to actually happen? Review them and explore them so that we can actually be be better. Then, mm-hmm. mm.
0: yeah, I mean, uh, I think one of the um, interesting things for me, my my quote of the week was from uh, Tuvox speaking to Balana at the end, uh, where he says. Um, uh, burdened as you are by your primitive Klingon psyche it's a wonder you're able to keep your violent thoughts under control as much as you do and, and <laughs> I, I, I really <laughs> oh, compliment. Yet, <laughs> How lovely compliment that is backhanded compliment but 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 there's some reality <laughs> there that that actually Balana does have an ability to control her thoughts and and while they might naturally be more violent because of her Klingon um, background or whatever she she does control them and i think that i think that you know um jesus comments about motivation aside there there is a a virtue to the fact that that we can say okay well i had a lustful thought or i had a violent thought or whatever it might be but i'm not going to act on that because i have a commitment to act in these ways um you know and so i'm going to control my thoughts
1: which she wasn't able to do early on when she actually broke yep. the nose and almost killed the uh, contender for chief engineer um, back in back in our, our early days of B'Elanna. So.
2: Yeah, well, I thought that, um, that to me is in our society, that's the point. Um, it's not what you think necessarily, it's what you do with that thought. So you might want to punch someone in the nose because they've really annoyed you, but you don't. Hmm. Because there's other constraints on you and you've come to the realisation just acting on such thoughts or feelings of anger is not going to be productive or helpful for anybody in the long run or even in the short term.
0: Yep. I'm, I'm enjoying at the moment uh, with Suzanne uh, starting to watch a, a new series uh, on Apple TV called Shrinking. Um, which is about, uh, you know, a, a little practice of three uh, psychotherapists and one in particular who's going through a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but uh, one of them is, is talking to a, a young uh, person who's struggling with the death of, of her mother um, and, and how to reconnect with her father in that, that difficult situation. And um, he, he uses the old um, adage, fake it till you make it. Um, you know, why don't you act? As, as if you love your father and want to reconnect him and see what that, that does. And I think that that's part also of what you were saying, Elizabeth, that in our, in our society, not only do we control our thoughts and act in ways that match our commitments, but the more that we do that, I think that does have then uh, a, an impact back on our thoughts. If I act as if I care about someone and respect them, then I'm more likely to actually cultivate that care and respect Uh, even if that's not originally what I feel.
2: Well, I think that's been shown with um, looking at what makes people Christian in our current society or members of a church. It used to be that, you know, you believed and had faith and joined a church and then you behaved a certain way. We now know that's probably the reverse, that people will connect with you, not necessarily because they believe, but they have questions. But by engaging in behaviour that the church might be doing, that brings them to belief. So it's the other way around, and I think it's never linear. It's always a circle where behaviour influences thoughts, influences behaviour, influences thoughts, and it's it, if it's healthy, I think it's a cycle.
1: And certainly, that's what we've been finding in online uh, gaming circles with the Sonda Cloud tre- uh, Twitch uh, program that we've been we've been. We've been saying we want to create a safe space, a place where people are respected, where people are, are cared for, um, and um, and 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 where a number of the toxic behaviours that might exist within gaming circles actually um, are are not part of what we what we want to be as a community. And so, what we're finding is that people who aren't necessarily coming to that from a Christian framework, but looking for that environment, are coming along and discovering that there is a, a narrative and a framework of beliefs that supports. Um, that and assists that. So um, that's something that you know we've been running the the Sonda Cloud Twitch program now for about eighteen months, and we've found that quite a number of gamers have joined us not because they're actually wanting to be Christians, but because they're looking for a an environment that is um, consistent with the Christian narrative, um, and in the process asking those questions about. That that narrative. So yeah, it is a reversal. I, I think that's fascinating. Mm. And
0: and I but think that for the church, it's it's really uh, important because I think w- we have been shaped by the sort of Western um, idea of a very individualistic and private faith. Uh, you know, and it's it's all about me and God and you know what I think about in my a most being with God or whatever and and actually if what you're saying is right, Elizabeth, that people are uh, attracted to to what we're doing and might want to see what we're doing it means we've got to be much more activist, doesn't it We've got to actually be out there doing the things that that come from our, our basic commitments so that people see them and have the opportunity to say, hey I want to I want to start doing that too I want to get alongside what you're uh, achieving there.
2: I think that's right. And I think that research done by organizations like the McCrindle um people have shown that very, very clearly. That it's um people look to churches and expect them to be feeding the hungry and looking after the homeless and not being hypocritical and living out their faith in the words of Jesus. That's what they expect. And when they don't see that and we're seeing that being played out with the whole um uh, Investigate The consequences from the investigation into child sexual abuse with various churches, that keeps re-emerging and re-emerging, especially around controversial leaders in the church. Um, you can see there the hate that is directed at those places um, because they're seen as not to be living those values. Where, where churches do live those values, they're seen as something that people are much more likely to engage with. Yep.
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I am um, speaking of hypocrisy. Um, there's either a huge amount of hypocrisy or a massive plot hole in this story. <laughs> uh, um, Tuvok and uh, Nimira are talking about the barbarity of imprisonment and the use of the brig, um, but um, when Taurus commits a crime, they arrest her and detain mm. her until her sentence can be carried out, and worse still, um. If she's being detained, she's probably pacing in her cell, thinking more violent thoughts, exactly. getting angrier and angrier. So, God help all of those um, jailers who are actually in the vicinity, actually experiencing her getting getting more and more cranky. Um, so, so there, there's this kind of I don't know whether it's a. a a naivety um, in that initial statement because there's a lack of need to imprison people or or whether it's a hypocrisy or whether or not it's just something the writers didn't think about?
2: Well, it could be circumstances that temporary detainment in order to perform a procedure to fix in inverted commas the problem may be seen as necessary where detaining someone of their freedom indefinitely or for long periods without fixing anything is seen more barbaric. I don't know. I'm just hypothesizing Mm. here.
1: It certainly wouldn't be the first time that a judgment of barbarism would be imposed on a privileged society that didn't have to deal with particular issues.
2: Yes, indeed.
1: I I think,
0: too, that the thing that that I I thought about uh, hypocrisy was um, Tuvok commenting that the Brick had only been occupied for less than 1% of Voyager's journey, and I'm thinking that can't possibly be right. Like just, just the long suitor, uh, you know, sort of. Uh... Yeah. Uh, uh, no. He was in no, his no, own they, quarters. They,
1: they, they locked him in his quarters. They did. He and wasn't he in, in, the in the brig. Rig. All right.
2: He was confined, though.
1: <laughs> but, but, but really, I mean, it's it's not it's it's a it's a bit of a bizarre yes, distinction, yes. don't you think? Home imprisonment versus uh, versus the brig. Uh, and and yes. I, I
0: think you know even if that's the case i i suspect that they've gone over that like you know if they've been there four years that's what 1200 days uh and he's saying what we've only had people in the brig 12 days i don't think that's right
2: <laughs> well normally it's just some alien they've thrown in there isn't it it's until they're collected or because they've done something wrong so i reckon
1: i reckon seven spent more time in the brig than anyone else <laughs> no she was in her Wasn't she in her pod? No, no. Initially, they had her in the brig. Yeah, I remember um, that. She was smashing against the force field. Yeah, yeah, it was like in, yeah. So I I think she spent far more than 12 days in the brig.
2: I can't be sure about that, Will, to comment. But Star Trek, as we know, are a bit (laughs) rubbery with uh, some of their statistics and the number of shuttles they apparently appear to have.
1: Well, uh, no, just no shuttles were injured during no, the filming not this of one. this
0: episode. So <laughs> uh, while we're while we're sort of picking little holes, did did either of you notice the scene where Tuvok was talking uh, talking to Gwil? Um, it didn't look like he was actually looking at him. The, the just the way it was filmed, it looked like he was almost blind or not focusing or something like that. It was just really bizarre. I
1: thought. He'd just been pretty badly beaten, so maybe he was kind of, glazed. Um, I don't know, shell-shocked. Yes, yeah,
0: yeah that's what I thought.
2: Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't really give it much more thought than that, Lindsay, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take my um, film auteur's criticism elsewhere. <laughs>
2: Well, you can go watch it again and we could be completely wrong, but you know, and there were parts of this that I have, was watching with my peripheral vision because I just don't like blood and people hitting each other and stuff like that.
1: Yes. Yeah. Now now there was another major goof with this episode um that doesn't make any sense. Um they've switched uniforms. Did you notice that there was a change in uniform for no. this episode? I did um, wonder about only... that yeah, there's only subtle changes, but it's in line with the first contact movie. Oh. Um, so it seems that even though they're out of contact with and far <laughs> away from the rest of the federation, that the replicators have actually updated <laughs> the uniform design schematic. Um, so there seems that's 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 amazing that that um if I were Janeway, I'd start to look into how Voyager's <laughs> computer is still communicating with the rest of the Federation because I think that might be a, 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 a good thing for them to be using their 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 incessant investigative procedures towards working out it's right under their noses.
2: I'm glad you brought that up, Will, because I looked at the uniform and I wondered. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I thought it looked different and I was having trouble trying to work out what it was. So, yeah, obviously the computer knows something they don't know. I agree. They should be using those investigative powers to find out how it knows it.
0: Well, maybe it's a case of parallel evolution, that you're wearing the uniform and you decide, you know, that the zip's just not working or whatever, and and so you make the changes that make sense, and it makes sense whether you're in the alpha quadrant or the delta quadrant.
2: Well, there is actually research that would support that theory, Lindsay. Oh, well,
1: there you go. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> Twins on opposite sides of the universe will actually choose the same color scheme for their for their office. Yeah. Well, it
2: reminds me of the story of blue tits and cream. Uh, blue tits are little English birds, and England still, or did when we lived there, got its milk delivered in the old fashioned bottles that where the cream rose to the top, mm. and they had the foil tops like we used to get when I went to school. Maybe not when you two went to school, but um, anyway, blue tits in the south. Some One of them discovered they could peck through the lid and siphon off the cream. And then once one of them did it, it became an absolute problem. So the English had to invent ways of having their milk delivered and protect the top. And so they had boxes outside to put the milk in, et cetera, to stop the blue tits getting in. About two to four weeks later, blue tits in the north of England, where there's quite a distance for a blue tit, who tend to hang around in territorial suburban yards, um, started doing exactly the same thing. And the theory is, is that you do have parallel evolution, that there's some strange contact between blue tits in this case that transcend what you can see. And the knowledge is somehow passed on or whatever. Anyway, so blue tits in the North started raiding milktop bottles and siphoning off the cream. And scientists spent a lot of time investigating how that could be because no southern blue tit had found its way to the north to tell them, as it were. Yeah. They just started replicating the behaviour of the southern blue tit. So there is something in them what you're saying about parallel evolution.
1: And if you'd like to know more about the, uh, the blue tit from the UK, <laughs> then you can go to... Uh, Uh, www.rsbp.org.uk and uh, do a search for the blue tip find out and even get a picture of them they're wonderful, they're
2: little acrobats I used to love watching them, they turn somersaults and they're very quick and they're such pretty little birds
1: I uh, did just want to say as an aside since we're talking about birds for Christmas I got the uh, board game uh, Wingspan Um, if you haven't played the board game Wingspan um, it's a fantastic board game I really really enjoy it uh, it's quite simple to play and easy work of placement uh, and I am going to be doing a a um, playthrough and review of wingspan on the um, never odd or even YouTube page coming up shortly so um, keep your eye open for that and uh, please go to the youtube page and uh, subscribe um, if you um if you'd uh, like to see that and a number of other game reviews and other bits and pieces
0: it is a great game and and, and it's one I I have um uh, invested in the speckled eggs. So I, I love, you know, just touching and holding the eggs as you place
1: them and whatever, because they look so beautiful. It's got some lovely components. Yeah, yep. So uh, I look forward to um, doing the review on that one. Well, that's probably um unless there's anything else we need to really look at today, um we've covered huge amounts of ground today in terms of ethical telepathy um and um justice uh pre and post crime uh, looked at the Beatitudes. So there's been some fabulous things. Any final thoughts as um as we move into um our last moments of this episode?
0: No, not really. I, it was a it was a really enjoyable episode um and, you know, it was it was good. We've been at the start of season four, having quite a lot of episodes that have uh, focused around uh, Seven. So it was nice to have an episode that that had a different focus, uh, more around Bolana and Tuvok, and and uh, yeah, just a really enjoyable story.
2: It was. I did enjoy this episode. I didn't like the the interludes of violence, but that's just me. And I know they're necessary to the plot, so that's the way it is. But I thought it raised some really good issues that, and um, it was told well, despite the plot holes Will has pointed out.
1: Very good. Well, um, uh, you don't understand the truth of violence; its darkness and its power. I thought was my quote of the week um, from yeah. Tuboc. There is this, this, um, this um, uh, side to violence that actually. Uh, is dark but also very powerful um and um uh, i think until next week um i would suggest that uh perhaps uh, guide your thoughts towards whisker tugging um, (laughs) rather than uh, than, uh, assaulting or or damaging others Um, looking forward to next week's episode um oh
0: concerning flight this is one of my favorites
1: Oh, we get some more yes, Da Vinci yes. next week. That's going to be really exciting. So, um, uh, we get we get some more time uh, with uh, with Captain Janeway and Da Vinci and the holodeck, as well as other adventures. So, um, looking forward to that next week. Um, and um, until then, uh, this has been the uh, Voyager uh, podcast, uh, and I've been. <laughs>
2: Thank you.